Hey, this is Mark. Many of us recall, not so fondly perhaps, the wave of COVID response commercials from early 2020. You know, the cliche of we're living in uncertain times, but that we're here for you messaging played against a soundtrack of somber piano music. Fast forward two years, and while those ads may appear treacly and overly sentimental, many of today's healthcare ads are still heavy on cliche and not necessarily designed optimally to facilitate our health system's transition from fever service to value-based care, from sick care to self-care, and how to really get people to be passionate about staying healthy rather than getting sick in the first place. This week on the podcast, how healthcare marketing can catch up with the transformation in healthcare delivery. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. My guest this week is Dr. Stephen Clasco, former president and CEO of Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health, and now executive in residence at the VC firm General Catalyst. Dr. Clasco is also headlining MMM Spring Conference, MMM Transform on Thursday, May 5th at the Edison Ballroom in New York City as our opening keynote speaker. I'll be moderating a fireside chat with him on a host of issues about all the above. But first, some housekeeping items. Join us the evening of May 4th in New York City for one of MMM's most prestigious achievement awards, the second annual Pinnacle Awards. The Pinnacle Awards celebrate the medical marketing industry's most venerable marketers, strategists, and creators. The goal is to honor and celebrate those who have made a significant impact on the health industry. For more information or to register, visit MMMPinnacleAwards.com. And stick around the following day, May 5th, also in New York City, for our venerable spring conference, the MMM Transform event, the full picture of health. It's a full-day in-person event with one of the broadest programs in health marketing. From corporate wellness to the increased attention to mental health, and from the emerging cannabis market to developments in digital health, MMNM will bring together industry leaders to offer insight on wellness trends and the evolving patient journey. For more information or to register, visit mmmtransform.com. And now back to our show. Dr. Clasco, how are you doing today? Great. It's really, uh, it's really great to be on, and I'm really excited about the uh, New York event. Actually, it's exciting to be at any event that has real people nowadays. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, uh, we're all starving for in-person again. So let's just start off with a quick question. Why has healthcare marketing not kept pace? Well, I, look, I think it's, it's, it's a lot because we've, we've been allowed to not keep pace. I mean, part of the problem is that healthcare does not exist in a market-driven system. If we did, we'd have a lot of hospitals closing that are expensive with the leapfrogs. And I think it's, it's, it's a lot easier to put up a billboard and, you know, the onion did a, a satire on healthcare marketing where they had a, you know, a, 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 a little girl with a flower of serious surgery with Google glasses and something like, uh, you know, first class healthcare in a first class manner. Right, that billboard probably cost $50,000. I don't think anybody that found out they had breast cancer is going to go, oh, I want to go to that hospital, right? But that's easier to do than to try to do some of the consumer segmentation work that Amazon or Google or others have to do. It's easier to do than figure out how do I get to somebody that's, that doesn't have good broadband in the underserved area, or how do I do it in a language that makes sense you know, to get people that are going to come to, to our system? So I think we've been able to mail it in. I think that's true, by the way. Um, equal opportunity between payers, 
providers and pharma, you know, pharma does, uh, you know, uh, do you have stage four lung cancer? You know, you know, you should tell your doctor to prescribe this $400,000 drug. Okay. That's easy, but why? And does everybody need that $400,000 drug? So, so, um, I think we need a, you know, we need a, um, an extreme makeover, if you will, of, of, of healthcare delivery, a, but B healthcare marketing of that different healthcare delivery system. Mm -hmm. So how is the um, healthcare delivery system changing as we know it today, obviously from the two years of pandemic living uh, where many of us conducted our healthcare online, got more used to that with telehealth, using healthcare portals and the like. Um, and, you know, when you juxtapose that with healthcare marketing, which is designed perhaps for a different set of objectives, you know, to stimulate demand, say, for public health services, for brands, that type of thing, um, you know, just talk about how the, the goalposts are changing. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I, I, I take exception a little bit to folks that, oh, my God, everything changed after the pandemic. No, everything got accelerated. And, you know, and, and, and I look at um, everything BC, DC and KAC. We'll talk about that a little bit in New York before COVID, during COVID and kind of after COVID. This way, you don't have to get into the politics of whether or not COVID's over or not. We're at the KAC phase and KAC. What we're finding is our entire employee situation is different. The number one thing for any healthcare system CEO now is employee retention and recruitment. And a lot of that is internal marketing. You know, literally employees want to know that the, that the place that they're working at cares about them, that has some kind of social mission. So that's one thing that's changed. The second thing that's changed is that we can't deny anymore that our system has failed in being equitable in healthcare. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, we had folks in, in Philadelphia that happens to be the home of Com Comcast. But we had folks in Philadelphia that zip codes with 48 percent of people that didn't have broadband. All they knew in watching CNN was don't go to the hospital in May of 2020 because of the pandemic, you know, but they didn't have access to telehealth. So a lot of those folks died in their bed because they're afraid to go to the hospital, but they, they didn't know what to do. So that's the second thing. The third thing, and I think this is important for anybody that's interested in healthcare marketing um, in the future is we have to get away from from the easy things like telehealth. Right. I don't think any of you get up in the morning and said, you know, I think I'll tell a bank today. It's just that banking went from, you know, being 90% inconveniently in the bank to 90% at home. And I remember, you know, I'm a distinguished fellow of the World Economic Forum. And I had, I had a cup of coffee with one of the CEOs of one of our, our major uh, global finance firms. And this was the last Davos, by the way, Mark, was January 20th of 2020. <laughs> by the way, there were a couple little lectures about, oh, there's this weird virus going on in China. But January 20th, 2020 was the last. And, but anyhow, what he was saying was, you know, 40 years ago, the two sectors that escaped the consumer revolution were banking and healthcare. And they took a sip of his coffee, said, now you're alone. And I thought about that when the pandemic hit a month later, because if you're my age at age 68, 30 or 40 years ago, we would have been talking about how people can't line up at the bank, you know, to deposit their checks on Friday, because that was the only day that it was open. We would have had to come, but we don't have to worry about that. And it's not just the technology. So we should not, we should stop talking about telehealth. At Jefferson, I stopped talking about health, telehealth. I talked about healthcare at any address. I said, you know, look, because there might be, you know, there might be, you know, 20 technologies I use to get folks to get their health care at any address. It might be virtual reality. It might be some telehealth. It might be predictive analytics. It might be drone delivery. 
all those things are realities that are going to happen. So, so, and all those kind of things were necessary to get banking to be something I can do on, on one of these iPhones. So if you're, if you're a healthcare market marketing person, I think you have to think about consumer segmentation. How are you going to get to me as a 68 year old that has two Apple watches and an aura ring, you know, counts as steps versus a 30 year old disconnected person versus a 78 year old person with cancer. Those are very different things. Amazon views all three of us very, 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 very differently. If you're working for a traditional healthcare system or payer or pharma, you have to start to think about that. And then you have to start to think about the different vehicles for transmission of your message. And then the last piece, Mark, is who's your competitor? You know, the Chen Meds, the, the uh, One Medicals, uh, the Oscars, the Oak Streets, laugh their whatever's off that, you know, when I was at Jefferson, we viewed Penn as our competitor. To them, it was like Sears saying, yeah, my only competitor is pennies. I'm not worried about that Amazon stuff, you know, or Target or Walmart, but I'm going to, I'm going to beat the heck out of pennies. That's, that's how a lot of the folks in, in the world that I'm now in view, you know, you know, the hospitals next door to each other say, I got to beat that guy. No, you got this tidal wave coming in. Don't, you know, don't worry about the fact that your faucet isn't working perfectly. <laughs> right. Think about the bigger picture. And you started to see some of those successes while you were at Jefferson and kind of leading that ship in terms of some of the investments you made. Um, and um, it was interesting to me to, to hear you kind of frame that, you know, how, um, you know, if a patient gets uh, sort of diagnosed um, or, you know, fails a cancer screening, say they're not going to drive down the Schuylkill Expressway and say, hey, who has the more clever billboard? They're going to say, oh, if I, a, if I already have a portal relationship, you know, with Jefferson or up here in New York area it might be Cornell. Uh, or Columbia, I'm naturally going to go on there first. So it kind of creates a pre-existing relationship with a health system. Um, and, um, and, and so healthcare marketers have to sort of reframe themselves a little bit. Um, can you talk about how that is uh, kind of driving a lot of, the, of this discussion? Yeah, look, I think I think, you know, you bring up a really seminal point, And that is, you know, the thing that made Google come out of the you know, the, the many, 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 many search engines, you know, again, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I remember SGs and CompuServe and all those, was that they didn't want to be a search engine. They wanted to be the first place you go on your computer. You know, you, similar with Amazon. It wasn't just we're selling your books. We, we just always want you to get on Amazon. You know, if you came to my office uh, before I left the CEO on December 31st, you would have seen like a little sign says, you know, when Elon Musk brings people from Mars, you know, to Philadelphia 10 years from now and says, where's Jefferson? I hope you can't define that. You know, I hope you'd say, well, you mean Jefferson on my phone or Jefferson's partnership with Comcast or Jefferson's partnership with Novartis or Jefferson, you know, over at my barbershop or Jefferson in 12 micro hospitals. Oh, the place where really, 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 really sick people go. I think that's still at, at 10th and, and, and Walnut. Right now, when you think about how ridiculous it is, we, we define every health system in New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or any place by where we failed. You know, we are located at the place where we couldn't prevent you from having cancer. And now you're having uh, surgery. You know, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what I what I tell folks and what I tell folks in, in, in my marketing shop and others, I want to be Target and Walmart, because when Amazon disrupted that industry, there were some folks that said, oh, my God, nobody's ever going to a store again. 
You know, you think Circuit City, they went all E, but they couldn't compete with uh, Amazon. Then you had the, the, you know, Sears and Penny saying, what a stupid fad. People love parking 10 miles away the day after Thanksgiving and fighting over Cabbage Patch dolls. So, you know, we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But Target and Walmart said, you know, we're damn good at what we do, but we also have to be just as good at that. So in one case, they bought an e-company. In one case, they, they started one. And, you know, that's how I would get it. If you have pancreatic cancer surgery, when I was a, when I was the CEO of Jefferson, we had one of the top pancreatic cancer surgeons in the country. I don't think you cared what our digital strategy is, how big our TV was, or what the food was. You wanted to see that doctor. By the same token, to your point, I made a big deal to my faculty. Let, let's not treat patients. Let's go after the 97% of people in Philadelphia that don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm a patient. They wake up in the morning and say, I'm a person, might have diabetes, might have congestive heart failure, might have cancer, but I'm a person that would love to be able to thrive without health getting in the way. And, and Mark, my new world gets that very well. You think about Livongo that became an $18.5 billion company by just saying diabetics, Steve can only view you as a patient. You know, come to my uh, urgent care center, come to my office, come to my ER, come to my hospital. I'll be your invisible friend at home. And when you, I'll partner with Steve, if you need one of those folks, we'll do that. But hopefully you won't need that. I'll just make it so easy for you to live with your diabetes. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, what I would tell any, anybody, whether in the pharma space, fair face, stop, stop literally having those of us in places like General Catalyst create companies that literally you could do. Right. I mean, when you right. think about telehealth, you know, we created American Well and Teladoc with our patients and our doctors, but they became 20, 30 billion dollar companies by creating the interface between our patients and our doctors. Hmm. Why didn't we hire somebody, you know, to, to be the interface between our patients and our doctors? You know, and so to me, I think in order for us to survive, we're going to, have to take that Target and Walmart philosophy of we want to take our brand out to any address. That's why I like the healthcare at any address, Jefferson at any address. And yeah. by the way, I think that's true in just about everything. I'm going to become the chair of the board for Philadelphia Opera. I'm talking about opera at any address. Why? Because not everybody can get, you know, has the money or whatever to get to there, but they might want to enjoy opera. Sure, sure. Democratizing that aspect of, of our life as well. Um, you know, you bring up a great point, you know, um, and I've heard it over the years as well, that everybody, their first um, uh, experience with the healthcare system, or they, they only have an experience with the healthcare system, unfortunately, when it's an acute one. Uh, but the industry for years have been trying to um, at the same time, make it so that if, if a person has diabetes, they don't have to change their life to go on this diabetes medication, but vice versa, that the, that the, that the company behind the medication um, makes it more convenient to them and, and their life and part of their day. So they don't have to turn their lives upside down. And, you know, the social determinants of health has became a framework for that a couple of years ago. And I remember writing a piece that every brand should have a, an SDOH strategy, but, but few do. Um, but, um, you know, you've seen also, you know, you worked at Apple, you know, back in the day, which, you know, and, and your, your experience, you know, on that, at that intersection between entrepreneurialism and, and clinical care kind of gives you a really unique lens to look at some of the failures like Amazon and, and JP Morgan and Berkshire and their, you know, failed effort at, at Haven vice uh, versus some of the ones you just mentioned, like the Walmarts that have seemed to, to be able to keep pace. What's what's what was behind those kind of failures that we've seen versus the success stories? 
Yeah. Well, well, first, I think the best one to talk about is, is Apple, because I was, you know, I was working with iTunes U back in the year 2000, pre-iPhone. You know, Apple, Apple stock was 15. That was about 97 splits ago. And I didn't keep my options or, you know, probably wouldn't be talking to you, at least from here. Um, but the, uh, you know, Steve was smart enough to recognize that the computers and operating systems were going to become a commodity. And, you know, if you ask the CEO of Dell or the CEO of Gateway, what are things going to be like 10 years from now? They'd say, we'll have even cooler computers and cooler operating systems. Well, Steve said, no, no, that, you know, let's think about, again, almost like this healthcare at any address, having everything Apple at home, everything you're going to need. And, you know, when you think about it, it wasn't like he had, it came out in, in the year 2000 with, you know, the iPhone and the iPad. It was the iPod holding 200 MP3s, but that was his first foray into the digital lifestyle. I had the same issue when I told my faculty we're going to go from, you know, spending more money in hospitals to healthcare at any address. They thought I was crazy, you know, and, and, and but literally that was the right way to go. So, so I think starting to recognize that whatever part of the healthcare industry you're in, the chances that there's going to be a linear 10-year thing and there's not going to be some black swan event is nuts. So you try to create that black swan event. Now, when it came to Amazon, JP Morgan, and Berkshire, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question they asked, Mark, why big tech with all their money has not been able to make it. Google Health has failed. I mean, the day that Amazon, JP Morgan, and Berkshire came out, and it was almost a Saturday Night Live routine because, you know, every healthcare stock went down 20%. You know, oh, my God, they're taking over. Like, why are you even going to work, Steve? And, you know, um, and, you know, um, then they brought in a tool, Gawande, who's a great guy. But it was like, then a tool said, if you remember, well, God, you're going to transform all of healthcare. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Oh, well, I guess you'll stop doing neurosurgery. No, I'm still going to do neurosurgery two days a week. Oh, I guess you're going to stop running for New York. No, I'm still going to do that, you know, one day a week. So between you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to transform healthcare. Um, so I remember, you know, I gave a talk for American College Healthcare Executives maybe two weeks after that happened. And the first question, of course, was Steve, you know, oh my God, aren't you scared of, of, of Haven? And I remember saying, got tweeted, got in a little trouble, but it was like, well, it's sort of like the Loch Ness Monster. If I ever saw it, I'd probably be really scared. I don't think I'm going to see it in my lifetime. Now that turned out to be prescient, but the fact is to this point, Google Health has not done what it, what it needed to do. You know, uh, Amazon has had three or four different forays into this. Apple has done a good job of taking care of their employees, but, you know, we, you know, and, and the Apple watch, but it's not like Apple has, has a, a full stack. Um, um, now what I think will start to happen and where I'm very optimistic is that the folks that are looking at having significant interactions with millions and millions and millions of millions of people on a weekly basis of how they can impact their health. So if you think about that, that's Walmart, right? Um, that's uh, the dollar, you know, the dollar stores type thing. Um, um, interestingly, even Best Buy has looked at how can we take the geek squad mentality and turn that into, into a health mentality. It's actually pretty smart, smart thought, if, 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 but there's a huge gulf between thought and implementation in healthcare. Amazon Care. So, so, so where I see the the smart plays being, Microsoft's done a great job with the Microsoft Cloud. You know, they say, look, we're, we're not trying to transform healthcare, but everything's going to be in the cloud, and we want you all to be in Microsoft. So it's sort of it's more of the Intel inside model uh, type thing. You know, I don't care which product it is, but it should be on Microsoft Cloud. I think that's that's a good strategy. I think where Amazon Care is going, the direct to employer piece. 
along with Transparent, which is a company that the GC is invested in. I think that that's a good strategy. You know, we'll see what happens with CVS and Aetna. You know, clearly, you know, there was a lot of health hub buzz. Uh, you know, you're going to CVS with remember meeting with, uh, with the head of CVS and he said, look, we have the data. He said, Steve, as a hospital leader, you only have the data like every time someone goes to the hospital. I know everything about that patient. <laughs> I know that they bought eyeglasses. I know, you know, I know whether they picked up their drugs. You know, I know what, like how much candy they get a week. I know if they use condoms, you know, like I know, I know a lot about that patient. Um, and, and, and we think we can be a better job of taking care of folks because they come into our stores and they, so we'll see where that happens because they also are part of an insurance company. So I think we'll start to see some of that, but I think, um, I think it's going to be much more directed. I don't think anybody's going to get up there and say, we're going to transform healthcare. Um, uh, we're going to be the Amazon of, uh, of healthcare. I just don't see that happening. I think that they'll, 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 they'll pick pieces they can do very well. Amazon Care and Transparent, for example, are going to employers and saying, look, we can be that liaison between the incredibly bizarre system you have to deal with and your health benefits people. We can do it better with a better user experience for your employees, with better presenteeism and less after I think that's real. And I think that, that, that those are the kind of things that I would invest in. Sure. Sure. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, CVS and Aetna, I think when those two combined, um, I think a lot of the hope um, for how that combination could potentially facilitate the country's transition to value-based care was that Aetna would seek to steer some of its uh, members um, to lower site lower cost sites of care, uh, i.e. the minute clinics inside the CVS pharmacies. I'm not sure to what extent that has happened, uh, but that's, you know, yet another, you know, attempt at, um, you know, changing, you know, patterns of care in order to uh, achieve, you know, lower, lower cost, higher quality, better patient satisfaction, the quadruple aim. But, you know, what, you know, when we look at some of the uh, successes in, in healthcare, and you and you named uh, s- several companies earlier that you're impressed with. What do you see some of the sort of takeaways, you know, in those that have been able to facilitate this digital lifestyle uh, that that you think patients uh, should adapt and that that mindset? Yeah, I mean, I, I think look, I think there's a lot of them. I mean, I think you know. I think everybody's looking at how do we get into this healthcare at any address. I get excited about the companies that are looking at formally intractable situations. Like there's a company uh, that I've been very interested in called Eleanor Health, which is looking at substance use and a combination of human and, and, and um, um, human and tech. I mean, so my whole, my whole brand and world now is how do I look at companies that are looking at population health, social determinants, health equity and predictive analytics from these philosophic and academic pieces to the mainstream of clinical care and payment models. And one of the things you brought up about value, Mark, is this, is, you know, um, there's a great line from Upton Sinclair that I think is relevant. It's hard to get somebody to do something when their salary depends upon them not doing it. So, so if you look at the pandemic, and like there's no better example of our ridiculously bizarre fragmented system than what happened during the pandemic. You know, a place like Jefferson almost lost a billion dollars. Why? Because people stopped coming for care. Not for a good reason. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, we were taking care of COVID patients where we were losing money, you know, because the insurers were paying, you know, probably $20,000 less than it cost us for every COVID patient. And our 18 hospitals were just filled with COVID patients. And people weren't coming in for elective surgery. Our insurer CEOs got their biggest bonuses ever during the pandemic 
for exactly the same reason. They were going to employers the year before and they didn't do anything wrong, but saying, hey, you know, we're going to need 9% more because we're anticipating so many, this many people will come in for hip replacements, joint replacements, et cetera. And then they ended up spending 50% of what they thought for the same reason that I lost a billion dollars. And they, they, they quadrupled their net operating incomes and did 30 second commercials about how great they were because they were you know, sending out notes about vaccine distributions. I'm not being nobody did anything wrong. It's a system problem. Uh, you know, they would argue in the past we used to go to them as hospitals saying, if you don't give me more money, I'm going to go and, you know, not be in your insurance company. So we all we all share share that 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 blame. And, you know, but the but the key is going to be, you know, you 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 can't you can't go and transform healthcare to a value based model without harming somebody's revenue stream. You just can't, right? I mean, if you think about it, when the ACA came out, President Obama said, you know, good news, you know, um, you know, we're going to turn a dollar and a quarter of healthcare down to a dollar and, um, and so we can give everybody access. Okay. So you would have sold all your middleman and supply chain stocks because that's what happened in every other sector. Well, the best stock to buy other than maybe Apple was probably United Healthcare. You know, which is insurance stock and maybe, you know, some of the pharma stocks. Well, how can pharma stocks and insurance stocks go up that much? And by the way, for profit health chain stocks were probably right next to it. You know, so how can all that go up and have healthcare costs go down? So I think I think that's the dilemma we have. Why do we pay our dermatologists and neurosurgeons 10 or 12 times when we pay our family docs and then tell our family docs that we want them to be the quarterback of a new system? My family docs say, Steve, if you want me to be the quarterback, stop paying me like the kicker. You pay your, your neurosurgeon, your dermatologist, you know, like the quarterback. So I think we, you know, and, and then we have the whole, you know, malpractice issue, you know, which is another piece, right? Because everything we do that gets care out to home, you can imagine, you know, I mean, I was, I was on the board of a company that was moving obstetric monitoring to home. That would be great, right? You wouldn't have to come in three times a week to get monitored in the hospital. Well, I, I kidded around with the board. It, it came out of Israel where it worked. I said, here, literally the first kid that didn't get into Princeton because I monitored the, the mom at home, you know, I'd get sued. There, you can imagine those two o'clock in the morning commercials. Are you not happy with your with your 12 year old child? Did he did he ha did you get monitored at home? You know, please join this class action suit because that you didn't get monitored in the hospital. So, I mean, I, the reason I bring this up, I know they sound sort of funny, but but we have this convoluted system that is good for the lawyers, good for the hospitals, good for pharma good for the payers, good for even PBMs, good for generic drug companies, good for every middle person. And then we're amazed that we have a $4 trillion system that, that you know, so, so I guess what I'd say, and maybe this is a good way to put it, I, I said this on a cable news show, Bernie Sanders, get what, the pandemic proved that Bernie Sanders was 100% right about the problem. Because he said, we have a broken, fragmented, expensive, inequitable, literally individual corporate driven system. OK, he gets an A for that. I think the pandemic also proved probably 100 percent wrong about the solution, uh, 
right? Because he said, I think government should run the whole thing. All you have to look is what's happening today on April 21st, 2022, where we have, you know, the Justice Department and the CDC going against, the, you know, you know, should I wear, I'm going on a plane tomorrow at 5.30 in the morning. I have no idea if I should wear a mask or not. I think I'm going to have to wear a mask in the airport, which is actually really big, but I'm not going to have to wear a mask on the plane. But I'll probably have some people look at me askance because I didn't wear a mask at the plane. So I'm not sure if I want those same people that are creating those rules to run the whole healthcare system. So I think, sure. you know, what, what, what I would love to see is almost a 9-11 commission for healthcare. You know, if you think about 9-11, you know, first the Democrats blame the Republicans, the Republicans blame the Democrats. At some point, they said, we failed to keep the country safe. It would be like a fantasy to see a Democratic senator, Republican senator say, we need a 9-11 commission for health care and health care equity. Because you know what? The ACA didn't do it all. Certainly, President Trump's fantastic, terrific, unbelievable and huge system, which was none of the four, didn't do it all. Um, you know, let's get some really smart people together and, 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 and figure out what the future looks like. Great. One last question, Dr. Clasco, and I'll let you go. You know, you mentioned segmentation and you mentioned the need for, you know, healthcare marketers to also think about, you know, healthcare from anywhere, how the site of care is changing. What's the best way that they should think about to get people passionate about keeping themselves healthy? Yeah. So, look, I think um, I think I would say two things. One is um, you can't yell at people, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like when you think about the reason that people drink a lot or overweight, smoke, there's usually some psychological reasons. Some of them are, it's almost, it's almost obvious, but some of them are self-confidence issues and whatever. So telling somebody they're fat, they smoke too much or they drink too much doesn't help their self-confidence. And they probably go home and say, yeah, I do feel worse about myself. Let me have a drink and, and some, you know, some Twinkies, right? So, so I think the key is really making it easy for people, you know, because you have the whatever your system is, we want to make it easy, sticky, and fun. We want there to be a reason every day you go on the Pleasantville Hospital app, you know, and, and we understand enough about you of, you know, so maybe if, if you only go on Facebook to, to see your grandkids, before you see your grandkids, we want you to do X, Y, and Z and, and do a fun thing around your health. So I think that's number one. The second thing is, if everybody in your marketing team looks like me and I know I know this is uh, this is uh, this isn't a video but you know I'm a I'm a I'm a 68 year old um, relatively uh, height challenged uh, hair challenged um, uh, Caucasian <laughs> guys um, if everybody looks some combination of those four or any combination of those four I should probably say um, you know you probably have the wrong uh, team. So the combination of uh, the, the importance of having a generationally diverse, gender diverse, uh, LGBTQ diverse, racially diverse team, because you are the face and you can't consumer segment without having, you know, having like I, I always laugh when I see marketing teams that are all 65 year old Caucasian men, you know, talking about, well, I think what the LGBTQ community would like, it reminds me of the Saturday Night Live thing they used to have with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, like, you know, men talking about women. Well, I think what women would really like, well, you just can't do that, right? So, and then, but I then think you also need some people from outside the healthcare sector. 
So I think, you know, you know, it'd be great to have somebody under you if, you, if you're the EVP for marketing of a health system or whatever, that came from the Amazon world or came from the Target world or, or came, you know, that, that really could start to have you understand how they did consumer segmentation and where that might fit into healthcare. Sure. I just can't get over the fact that you're 68. You just look terrific. But uh, <laughs> some great, great pointers there. And uh, I look forward to talking to you more about this at the conference in a couple of weeks. You know, podcast listeners can get 50% off their registration using the uh, code podcast50 on the website. And um, will you take uh, questions, Dr. Clasco? Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's, uh, you know, just looking at, 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 what looks like will be your audience. It's a great diverse audience, you know, from a lot of different aspects. And yeah, what I would say is come to the meeting, come up with your toughest question, you know, things that you've agonized over or things where you've heard me say something, Google me, say, Hey, I think you're totally <laughs> full of it. You know, I think that's what'll make it, uh, that's what'll make it uh, even more fun. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Look forward to it. Take care. Okay. You too. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.